0: This episode of the Are We Chill Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. CG, I'm feeling fresh and clean these days. Freshly shampooed, freshly conditioned, but I'm just feeling trimmed. How's that Manscaped going for you now?
1: There's a mandatory rule in the Are We Chill podcast studio. You are not leaving the front door until you're all dialed in with Manscaped. The Lawnmower 4.0 shampoo and conditioner. We got it all here from top to bottom. You have to use our code, Are We Chill, for 20% off and free shipping. It's Are We Chill, A R E W E C H I L L. Again, A-R-E-W-E-C-H-I-L-L. Get locked in, get dialed in, and get ready to go. Enjoy this episode, baby. Let's go.
2: I have a new hero, I got to tell you right that. Therian Fury, is that how you say it? Theron Fleury. That was close enough, and I like this kid, I'll tell you.
0: Messier gives it away, here's Fleury, looking for his first goal of the series. Scores! Are in
3: seventh heaven. This is a this is the greatest day of my life, greatest day for my family. I love everybody in Canada. This is the greatest feeling. We're number one and they can't take that away from us.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the R Show Podcast. Today is October 25th, 2021. On this episode of the Are We Chill podcast, we have a very special guest today. One of my favorite episodes, and I would say one of the most powerful episodes we've released to date. Um, the message of mental health, dealing with addiction, and the trials and tribulations that come along with everyday life that we all go through. Um, the trauma, and there's a great line from our guest, and it's trauma is the string that ties us all together. Um, Our guest today is a former Stanley Cup champion, an Olympian, an author, a musician, uh, an all-around all-star. Played for the Calgary Flames um, in the late 80s all the way through the 90s, and his career even lasted uh, through the early 2000s. Um, Canadian legend, Theo Fleury, joins the R Weed Show podcast today. What an honor it was. Um, You would have thought we knew Theo for years in this conversation, and he couldn't have been better to me, Corey, and Dusty we're super grateful for just the message that he shared with us on this episode. Um, I mean, I I honestly can't say enough about the guy and I want everybody to just really listen um, to his story and I'm sure in some way, shape or form you can relate to Theo's story and you know what he's been through and, and what a warrior, you know, to make it to the other side of, of addiction and um, you know, you know, what can I say about the guy? He's just an all-around great guy. Um, he also has an amazing book by the name of Playing With Fire. Uh, he released this in 2009. And in 2009, there wasn't a lot of social media back then from Twitter to Instagram and other avenues to share the story. But this book reached so many people. And you'll hear that on the uh, on the episode. And you can buy this book on Amazon. I believe I got it in, in about a day. So. so jam it out, Playing With Fire is the book by Theo Fleury. And then just please enjoy this episode with Theo Fleury. All right. Welcome back to the Are We Chill podcast. Got such a special guest on today with the brothers here. Um, Longtime fan of this gentleman, the former Stanley Cup champion, a musician, an author, a seven-time all-star, an Olympian, and now a new friend of the Are We Chill podcast. Theo, (laughs) welcome, Theo Fleury. Welcome to the Are We Chill podcast. Yeah, good
3: to be with you guys. Appreciate it. We, uh, we always appreciate the
0: opportunity to talk a little hockey. So. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, with that list of, uh, you know, titles, I mean, where do we begin, you know, with, with your <laughs> life? Uh, um, but uh, how are you doing today? And, and how how's everything going up in Calgary?
3: Well, obviously, you know, it's been a challenging time for, for everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I work in the field of trauma, mental health and addiction now. And uh, I would say you know, in the 14 years that I've been in this business, I've never been busier, you know, dealing with people, um, you know, their mental health challenges and addiction issues and you name it. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been, you know, interesting, but also it's been, you know, it's been rewarding too, you know, because this is my, this is my life's work. And, and, uh, you know, obviously I put it out there a long time ago that, uh, you know, that I was here to help in any way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, kudos to all the people that, that do reach out and and are looking for, uh, you know, some support and help because that's, you know, that's half the battle right there. You know, speaking upon that as a former athlete,
0: I think even, you know, when you were playing in, you know, the eighties and nineties, it wasn't as easy to go
3: and ask for help. No, we you know? drank and we drank and did a lot of drugs. That, yeah. that, you know, that's, that was the way that we coped with, uh, you know, with the pressures and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And, and, you know, even, even when I was in New York, when this kind of all went sideways, you know, that's when sort of, sort of my mental illness showed up was was when I was in New York and, you know, nobody was talking about it then. And so, you know, over the last probably, I don't know, five years, we've seen more and more athletes, more and more celebrities, uh, you know, willing to put their story out to, uh, to help other people.
0: It's nice to see in 2021, it's a lot different where you, you're, you, you sure can now, yeah. but even today you see uh, with current athletes, especially, you know, let's talk about hockey. Um, They still feel like maybe they can't. You yeah. know, I think going through, and we want to get into your story, but just as, as this topic's up, you know, what would be your advice to current players that are going through, you know, <clears throat> mental health, depression, anxiety, addiction, what, what should be their call to
3: action right now, Theo? Well, I think you just have to find a safe person, you know? Um, and I think, you know, with uh, Jonathan Duran. Taking the year off now, carry Price is is you know has publicly come out and said you know I I I need some help and uh, you know that's that's important you know um, and uh, obviously you know the NHL program you know has really stepped up and and uh, you know taken an active role in in uh, you know finding these guys the help that they need so. Um, but, you know, more importantly, uh, you know, I, I don't like to single out one entity as having an issue because, you know, uh, the biggest epidemic on the planet is not COVID. It's actually mental illness. And, uh, uh, you know, we've seen a huge spike in, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, um, suicidal ideation, uh, opioid use, uh, alcohol use, you know, and so, um, you know, it's right in our faces right now. And, and, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, there's not enough skill for the amount of people that actually need help. And so that's why we're, you know, we're seeing these, you know, these numbers spike in, in every, you know, category. And, and, you know, the really sad thing for me is um, the amount of children now as young as, you know, seven, eight years old who are dealing with, you know, mental illness and, and uh, uh, you know, it's a long road in this space, you know, it's a, there's a, it's a long road to find the right formula, the right person, um, the right group of people, um to you know to talk to this to talk to this subject and uh you know we've done a really poor job as a society of creating safe environments and safe spaces where people can can actually talk about this stuff
1: definitely theo hey welcome to the podcast Happy no to have problem. you on Uh, No, it's, it's huge. And something that we're focusing on is mental health. I mean, we're, that's not just the hockey stuff. This is important. Not a lot of podcasts are focused on it. And I love the fact that you have come out to want to help people make it a positive impact. But most importantly, you want people to relate with you. You've had a, you've had a wild uh, journey Mm -hmm. through it all uh, through the game and, uh, and also the ups and downs. Right. So um, touch on, touch on your story a bit with you know the past and your struggles and and how yeah. you've come out of it because there's a lot of people I know certain people in my life that have struggled through it and they haven't held themselves accountable they right. haven't went head on on it mm-hmm. and they're a little they they have fear and coming out and saying hey yeah. this is what I got going on because yeah. they're worried about being judged i think that you've been through it mm-hmm. and you you've come out the other end tell me a little
3: more about yeah. that well <clears throat> you know i knew that if i wasn't going to get help that i was probably going to die Okay, and, uh, you know, 16 years ago or 16, 17 years ago, you know, I had a fully loaded pistol in my mouth ready to pull the trigger and end my life. And, you know, uh, I was unsuccessful, which basically was a message from the universe that, you know, uh, I had more work to do, not only on myself, but but, uh, you know, there was a bigger reason why I didn't pull the trigger. And I actually, you know, wanted to live, but I couldn't live the way that I was living. And so that's when I reached out and asked for help. And thank God somebody was there when I reached out. And, uh, you know, I've been on this journey, like I said, now for, geez, over 16 years. And, uh, um, and and it's all based in trauma. My story is based in trauma. You know, I grew up uh, in a home where both my parents had their own trauma, which manifested itself into addiction as a coping mechanism. And, uh, and then, you know, and then everybody's all, all familiar with my sexual abuse story as well. And so, um, you know, those were the two sort of events that happened in my life that, that, uh, you know, caused me to have lots of problems and lots of issues, but, you know, the one saving grace for me was hockey, you know, hockey was my happy place. And, and uh, you know, when I stepped into that 200 by 85 square box, you know, I, I didn't have to think and I could just be uh, and I did something that I absolutely love to do, you know, and uh, they actually paid me to do it, you know, <laughs> which uh, um, I probably would have done it for free, because, uh, um, you know, it was my therapy, it was my um, it was my everything. And, and, uh, you know, obviously I, 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 played the game that way, you know, I played, I played with my heart on my sleeve and, and, uh, you know, I had an abundance of talent and, uh, you know, the will to compete and the will to win. And, and, uh, you know, it carried me a long way. You know, you have a great quote,
0: Theo, that I absolutely love. It's uh, trauma is the string that binds us all together. Yeah. from our personal experience we lost our sister back in 2014 and for ashley you know we all dealt with it differently for me you know personally you know obviously you go through that depression you go through that grieving process but Mm -hmm. you turn to food to alcohol to sex to drugs um and it's just it's the facts and and you know for me you know that that was the process yeah and it's it's how you know, it's how do you get through all that and get to that full circle, yep. um, holding yourself accountable, yeah. and realizing that this is just a band aid, Theo. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I, it was more of a comment. That, thank you for that comment because mm. we all are, are binded by that, that yeah. trauma. Yeah. And no one's alone. And that's my, I guess, my outreach to everybody listening to this right now is you're going through something, there's somebody. You know, at least four people on this podcast that are going yeah. through something. Yeah. And I think that's a powerful statement you said, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well,
3: um, Oh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, you know, every single issue we have in society is based in trauma, right? But you know, the way out of it is finding the gift in the adversity, Right because what does adversity do it builds resilience right and when we have resilience then it doesn't matter what gets thrown at us we're going to figure it out and we're going to get through it right so many people think oh i have a mental illness and i'm never going to be able to overcome this and i'm not going to be you know i'm not going to be the same person that i that i used to be and what i tell them is i say you're going to be a better person you're going to be a better human being for having had this, for having had this experience. And then when you get to the other side, what do you want to do? Well, you want to advocate so that nobody feels alone. Like we felt alone going through our own struggles. Right. And relationship is the way out. Right. Finding somebody talking about it, sharing that experience. Right. That, that's what this is all about. And uh, you know, the when I wrote Playing with Fire in 2009, that's ultimately what changed my life because you know, going into it, I, I really felt that I was the only person who'd been raped 150 times by their coach. And I went out on the book tour and I got run over by people, like five, 10, 15, 20 people were coming at every up, up at every book signing and saying, Hey man, I read your book and you told my story, me too, right? You know, so I was a part of the Me Too movement before it even, you know. Before it even started. And uh, and really what happened was is I stepped into my true purpose in life. The real reason why I was put on this earth was not to be a hockey player, but you know, to be this guy in this space, which provided a, a safe environment for people who've been carrying around secrets, right? You know, we have a saying in 12 step, and it's and it's very uh it's very powerful statement is you're only as sick as your secrets. Right. And, you know, for 27 years, I was carrying around a secret and I was sick physically, emotionally, and spiritually sick, you know? And when I, when I put all those secrets on paper, turned it into a book and put it out to the universe, I found the true purpose for my life.
1: And and Theo, you didn't have an average career. You had a hell of a career. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And 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 I mean you're you're big time out in Canada and all over. And and that that's cool though, that the fact that now you have all these people that you can go to and help that yeah. know of you and that can come out. I love that these book meet, you know, the the meetups and stuff saying, me too. Yeah. Wow. If he can do it, I can too. Exactly. It's having, it's being vulnerable and being open and
3: and, and being able to show. I really believe that's the first step in the process. Absolutely. Is you got to tell your story, right? And what I always tell people is uh, there's no courage in judgment. You don't need any courage in judgment, but it takes a tremendous amount of courage to tell your story. And you get to tell your story, whichever way you want to. Why? Because it's your story and the people that point the fingers, you know, my grandpa's is saying, if I point one finger at you, guess what? There's three pointing right back at me. Right. So, you know, and unfortunately that's the stigma that's attached to, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, any kind of affliction is the fear of being judged. And you know what I say that to that, you know, fuck you. You know, fuck, it's fuck like him. you know,
1: fucking feel, fucking <laughs> exactly, fuck
3: you know, and uh, uh and yeah, like I I really think we need to do a better job of letting people share, you know, share their deepest darkest secrets because when you release all that stuff, um, you know, it's like a purge, you know, and and it's out there, and I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to, you know mask it with alcohol and drugs and wine women and song and all that stuff you know i i, I i'm honest i'm open willing you know that, that's important and what
0: i'm finding out you're usually weeding out the bad women when you stop doing all that and, oh yeah and, and they stick Absolutely. around if they
3: truly love you yeah well, you know? you end up you end up surrounding yourself uh you know with the people that you need in your life you know the yeah. people that can help you the people that can you know um get you to the next level of healing, whatever that looks like to you. Quality over quantity, Leah. Yeah. Quality over quantity. Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I often think about, you know, all the people I was surrounded by, you know, when I was playing in the NHL, right. You know, people blowing smoke up your ass, people taking advantage of you and, you know, asking you for money and all kinds of shit, you know, and, and, uh, it's amazing. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any money anymore. You know, I, and guess what happened? My phone stopped ringing. Mm. Is that a coincidence? No, Mm. it's not, you know, but I'm definitely a better quality human being, you know, uh, because of all the things that I went through, you know, and, and uh, a lot of people who are, you know, sort of stuck in, in that place, you know, they have a lot of fear. And they don't know what, what to do. And, uh, you know, so it's great that, you know, we're on a podcast talking about, you know, it's okay. You know, it's 100% okay to feel the way that you're feeling. And, uh, you know, what I, always, what I always say too is, you know, if you struggle with mental health challenges, guess what? You're in the majority, not the minority, you know. And, uh, and we're seeing that play, being played out in,
0: in real time. Money certainly doesn't buy you happiness. And when the music dies down, you truly see who's around and who's not. And I think that's the, yeah. probably the beautiful thing about life, honestly, when you could see that. Yeah. You, you, you did mention, Theo, that hockey was your safe haven. That was your happy place. Yeah. When Stanley Cup champion, Olympian, all-star, Theo, when did that stop being your happy place for you?
3: Uh, well, I was a guy, I hated working out. I hated practice, organized practice, didn't like organized practice. And, you know, when you play 15 years, you know, you get tired of traveling, you get tra- tired of putting on the equipment, you get tired of, you know, practicing, you know? And I was a guy that no matter what shape, kind of shape I was in, you throw a puck out in the middle of the rink, and I'm going to give you absolutely everything I have. And that's what made me great was I competed at the highest level that I was willing to die in order to win, you know, and that's what made me great. That's what helped me overcome, you know, the size thing, right. right? Was I competed at the highest level. I hated to lose. And, uh, and you know, uh, You know, I was drafted 471st in the NHL draft because the first year of eligibility, I didn't get picked. And then the second uh, year I was eligible, I didn't get picked to 166th overall. And I always tell kids, it doesn't matter what number you get drafted, the number is an opportunity. That's all it is. You get an opportunity to go to a training camp and you get to show what you're made of, right? And I always say, it's where you finish. And I sit 61st in all-time scoring in the NHL. So, you know, uh, and and let's face it, I I had to take a whole bunch of non-believers and turn them into believers. And I went to my first training camp in Calgary and, you know, the whole entire organization never thought for a second that I would become the franchise player for the Calgary Flames. But by the time I left after that training camp, they all knew that I was going to play someday. Fantastic.
1: You've shown something to these undersized players too. I feel like you're that guy that's put you know, it on the map. Hey, if I can do it, you can too, right? right? And I mean, there were big boys back in the day. You had a lot of <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, spread out talent. You had guys like, ugh, I mean, Gretzky, Lemieux, Sackick, Iserman. Compared to now with the Matthews and the Crosbys and the McDavids in the world, there was so much more spread talent, top-tier talent, which you yeah. fall into, mm-hmm. back in the day. Now, going back to uh, the draft number thing, I totally agree with you. Look at Tom Brady, one of the best quarterback in the NFL ever. Yeah. Where was he? come yeah. on now theo Fleury, same thing right so now here's the deal the stats go moose jaw warriors the whl you had 300 point seasons okay mm-hmm. calgary flames 200 point seasons and a 96 point season as well your stats were incredible back in the day man mm-hmm. so i i want to ask though i mean with present hockey the nhl how different is it now where do you see the game compared to i mean when you were playing
3: yeah Yeah, I I played in the greatest era of superstars the game has ever assembled, Um, you know, but you got to remember there was 20, there was only 21 teams, right? So there was less jobs, less opportunities, right? And there was, you know, from top to bottom, you know, a team could, could, you know, dress four lines that, that could all, you know, be very effective and, and play, You know, and then, you know, the salary cap came in and, you know, it kind of bootstraps teams a little bit, you know, I I understand why, you know, they wanted to do that, but, you know, is the game better? I don't know. You know, it's, it's really hard to compare eras and, but, you know, like everything else in the world, you know, the game has evolved, right? You know, I didn't even go to the draft kids now show up to the draft with an agent a nutritionist a financial planner you know it's a big business okay and what i find interesting is you have 23 businesses within the big business right and so who are these guys listening to well they're listening to people that are on the payroll right because those people have more influence then the general manager, the coach, and, and and you know the upper management, right? So how the hell are you going to build a team of people when they're only looking out for themselves? You know, that's really hard. And you know, another thing is is I see uh, as a coach the hardest thing for a coach to do is get Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to play without the puck. And, you know, and, and I know as an ex player who came in with, you know, the mantra that I was a highly skilled offensive guy. Well, there's only so many minutes in a game for that guy to show up the rest of the game is about defending so that you can get the puck back. Right. And the guys that figure that out, Steven Stamkos, Braden point, guess what happens to them? They win Stanley cups, right? Back
1: to back. back.
3: Yeah. (laughs) So when Connor McDavid, which, which I watched the flames game the other night in the last five minutes of the game, they were up four to two he dumped the puck in four times and I went, Oh, okay. He's finally figuring it out. He's finally getting it that I don't need to score anymore. Right. I need to defend the lead and I need to be an example for the rest of the team, because what has our been been our biggest problem since I got here, we can't defend. And if you can't defend in the playoffs, you're going out in four straight. Mm. Right. Mm. So So, and, you know, 1989, I played on a team. We could beat you any way you want. You want to turn it up offensively? Let's go. You want to lock it down, play a defensive game? No problem. You want to fucking drop the gloves? Let's fucking drop the gloves, right? So, so so, you know, these kids need to know that there is way more aspects to the game. And you know what happens? If you learn how to kill penalties, if you learn how to take face-offs, if you learn how to play in the last minute of a game, defending lead, what happens? You get more ice time. So your ice time goes from 10 minutes to 20 from 15 to 25, because the coach needs to trust you. And if he knows you can trust you, you ain't coming off the ice. Because his job is what to win. Right? So he needs guys that can play the whole entire game. Right. You know, and I always tell kids that all the time. Yeah, you're a gifted offensive guy. But guess what? There's only 10 minutes in a hockey game that actually needs that skill. The other 50 minutes needs face offs, needs penalty kills, needs defending. And that's the only way you're going to get ice time is if you become an all rounded player.
2: The producer has a question once in a while, you know. But thanks again for coming on. But you mentioned the 89 team and going through like Doug Gilmore, Joe Neuendijk, yourself, uh, Laney McDonald on the team. What was it like bringing the first Stanley Cup to Calgary and doing it with those type of guys, uh, you know, especially you see it every year. It's like when's the last time a Canadian team won it? Just Montreal being in it this last year was insane, you know. So like to to be able to bring the first Stanley Cup to Calgary and with those – those two superstars too, like how's that experience?
3: Well, I was a rookie. So I was the fourth line centerman on the Calgary Flames, you know, which for me was a pretty easy role to play because I was playing maybe four minutes a period, you know, and I was, and I was playing against the other team's shitty fourth line. Right. So uh, there was lots of opportunities for me to, to uh, you know, be sort of a game breaker or a difference maker in 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 the games uh but i tell you you know i couldn't have been mentored by a better group of guys when i got to calgary right you know from top to bottom that team was you know not not only a great hockey team but we we had quality human being beings and quality people and uh you know we were a real small market team so you know we were in the community doing charity work and all kinds of stuff and and, uh, you know, that that hasn't changed in 40 odd years in Calgary, that hasn't changed. You know, we have one of the best alumni associations in all of hockey, you know, and we're still involved in the community, you know, and, that, and that's important, too. That's another side of the game that that that, um, you know, as a retired player, you know, me being involved in charity work while I was playing the game. And when I retired, guess what happened? I, get, I could go to those people and say hey, I need a job or I need something to do or, you know what I mean? So those relationships are really, really important post-career, you know? And, uh, and uh, but yeah, you know, you know when you're uh, a kid, you know, playing road hockey and it's minus 50 out on the prairies, you know, you're dreaming about playing in the NHL. And then when you get to the NHL, you dream about winning Stanley Cups. And, you know, for me, that happened within a six-month period, you know? But you know what the interesting thing is is I didn't really get another sniff the rest of my career. You know the closest I got was, you know we lost when I was in Colorado and we lost to Dallas in Game Seven of the Conference Finals, and then Dallas went on to beat Buffalo, you know for their one and only Stanley Cup. So if we would have beat if we would have beat uh, the Stars, uh, you know I probably would have two Stanley Cups. But you know mm-hmm. there's a reason why it's the hardest trophy to win.
0: It's a rare bird, Theo. It's a rare yeah. bird to win. And it's the hardest championship, in my opinion, in all of sports to win yeah. from a mental, physical stand- standpoint. I got a two-parter for you. Uh, and the first part of it is, what is your involvement in the game today? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, currently, if that's with the Flames or any other organization, do you have players reaching out to you today for any sort of advice all around the board? And if the NHL came to you today, Theo, and they created some sort of program, you know, honing in on mental prep, health and addiction, yeah. um, you know, would you... I guess, be the the founding father of that? Would you want to lead something like that if they came to you uh, to run something?
3: Yeah. So I'm not involved in the game at all in any aspect. Um, And, you know, like I said, uh, this issue is the biggest issue on the planet, right? And my role in all of that is to create a global, mental health initiative right so if i was to go into hockey and be you know sort of the mental health guy in hockey then i would be um neglecting what i was really meant to do and that's to be doing what i'm doing right now so um yeah of course i miss the game i I miss competing and 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 all that but more importantly you know um this is, I really believe in my heart of hearts, this is the biggest problem on the planet that needs needs to be solved. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm getting close to finding the solution. And when I do, um, you know, we'll start to roll out, you know, that program on a bigger scale, because what I've been doing is, is, is testing all these theories, you know, with a small group of people. And we're having a huge amount of success getting people well. Love to hear that. Love to hear that.
1: Um, I want to go back quickly to your playing career. Um, I got I wanted to bring this up. I've been thinking about it. So I mean, back in your era, it was mean and nasty. I mean, compared (laughs) to now, mean and nasty. I mean, you know, so but there was a certain play that I had to bring up, and it's in every highlight reel, in every intro, hockey night in Canada on Saturdays. You'll see it. It's that game-winning goal in overtime when you intercepted the pass from Mark Messier coming from the halfway point, going in and just going five-hole on grip, pure baby. (laughs) So I love that Celly though on the knees, the 360 spin. That was that's like iconic moment. Tell me about the feeling in that moment if you even remember it. I would have blacked out if I've been that moment. (laughs) Uh. What was it like to be, you know, be that guy and, and to go on
3: and win? So basically, if you play for the Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers back in the day, it didn't really matter. But you had to, you had to beat that team, right? That was, and, you know, those nights you were putting your equipment on, it wasn't called equipment. It was a suit of armor and you were going to war, Okay. And back in those days, we were full baseball swinging, slashing each other, hoping to hit bone. Okay, that's how much we hated each other. And you know that series was was no different. And and uh, and you know in the, in the eighties and early nineties, the Stanley Cup went through either Calgary or Edmonton, right? Whoever won that series and the last series between the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames was what 1991. That's the last time. So almost, you know, almost 30 years ago was the last time these guys played in the playoffs. And uh, you know, I played that whole entire series. I had a second degree MCL sprain in my right knee and I had a second degree separated shoulder. So I was getting shot up with Novocaine, you know, before the game, you know, the whole series and I'd scored 51 goals in the regular season. I hadn't scored a goal in the whole entire series up until that point. And so, um, you know, if we don't win that game, we don't get a chance to go to game seven. So obviously, um, you know, that's where all the emotion, that's where all the, you know, you saw in the celebration, right. Was, was that. And, uh, you know, I always prided myself on a guy as a guy. You know, if the game's tied two-two and there's five minutes left in the game, I want the puck on my stick because I know it's going in, right? And that's what we all play for. That's what we all play for is those opportunities to have those big moments, right? And uh, you know, for me, it, it all came together in, in in that game six, and and uh, you know, um, and you know what the interesting thing was, you know. My, my first two NHL goals was Hockey Night in Canada, Saturday night, Sal Dome in Calgary. I scored my two first NHL goals against Grant Fear and the Edmonton Oilers, right? And, and uh, you know, I always prided myself every single opportunity and chance we got to play against the Edmonton Oilers because, you know, you, you, get, you, get, you really get to find out what you're made of. Because you know at the end of those games that if you don't have an ice bag somewhere on your body, then you haven't done your job, you know? And that was the mentality, you know, that we had, you know, it was old school, you know? And, uh, um, you know, when your teammate was involved in a scrum, you better get your ass into the scrum, you know, now I watch fucking Johnny Goudreau when there's a scrum, he's standing on the outside, you know, watching. And I'm like, what the fuck you know like get in there you know but the game's changed you know obviously obviously the game's changed but you know um and the playoffs is where you ultimately na- make a name for yourself right you know i want to add a comment and, 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 oh, go, ahead and, go that, ahead and that's what you're paid to do you know
1: that's such you're- a good that's a great point Theo, and the fact that these guys don't, they don't defend their teammates at times. They don't defend their goalie at times. They're in the crease and they're fucking hacking at the goalie. Yeah. And the guy's just watching. I'm like, if I was on the ice, I'd be fucking going after that guy right now. I mean, I'd be, that's what you did. You didn't give a fuck well, what, what size they were. You go after him. I love I, that.
3: I used to run a hockey school for 15 years in Calgary and in my hometown. And the first day I would get everybody around the net and I would say, you see that blue, that blue ice there. I go, there's bags and bags and bags and bags full of money right there. But I said, it hurts mm. to go in there. Right. And, and it's the truth, you know, because, uh, you know, I remember that series. You go stand in front of the net on the power play and they're breaking double fiberglass coho sticks over your back. And there's no penalties called. Right? It's a different game. It was a different you know, game. It, it was a different game. And uh, you know, that series in 91, if it was played right here, right now, we'd all be in jail. That's how brutal, violent, you know, it was. But yeah, to that point. But it was the funnest, you know, it was the funnest thing to, to be a part of.
0: It's so different Theo to today's game. It's unbelievable. But yeah. to that point though, you kind of see new, the new age of players kind of mirroring some of the older players like yourselves. Yeah. Talk about Maddie, Maddie to Chuck on, on the Calgary flames, right? Yeah. Obviously his old man, probably taught him a few things, but man, I would trade probably most of the roster of the ducks for a guy like Maddie. Yeah. T- talk about his, his play. And, and do you see a little bit of like yourself and some of your teammates back in the day in into the Chuck playing for the flames?
3: Yeah. Absolutely. I would have loved to play with Matthew, Matthew Kachuk. Can you imagine the fucking chaos would cause us two guys around Called the call the CIA, eh? Come <laughs> on now. You know, and the guys that play like that, they basically own the league. Oh right? So you true. Know? If you're aggressive, competitive, hate to lose guy, you know, um, you know, Braden Point doesn't take any shit either. Brad Marchant doesn't take any shit either, you know. So um, you know. And I'm sure that NHL general managers that have been around the game for 40 or 50 years, like, you know, those are the guys that they're looking for. But they're few and far between. Right. You know, and what I find is, you know, everybody can skate. That's why the game is so fast is everybody can skate. But most of them are just speed skaters with hockey sticks. That's all they are. Because they can't do anything else. You know. And, you know, the game is really overcoached, you know, there's four or five coaches on the bench with iPads, you know, I, I, I always say if I came off the ice after shift and the coach handed me a fucking iPad, I would fucking smash that thing into a thousand pieces because <laughs> I know when I make a mistake, I don't need to fucking see it over and over and over again. Right. But guess what? I'm probably the only guy on the whole entire bench who can go out and redeem that mistake. Right. So, yeah, it, but it's, you know, it's a different time It's just a different time, different era, you know Um, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, we were a tough group of guys, you know, Uh, but the best part was, you know, we'd go out in the ice and beat the shit out of each other. And then we'd see each other in the bar and we'd be fucking drinking together. Yeah. That's, that's what the game's all about. Now they fucking text each other, you know, or, you know, they hop on NHL 21 with their headsets on and they're fucking playing Xbox with against each other. Yeah. So, so yeah, but you know, it's it's a different time, different era.
0: It's a different game. Hey, so going back to your book, by the way, just bought it. It came this morning. So I'm a little pissed that I couldn't, couldn't get into it, but I'm going to get into it. I got a few flights coming up, so I can't wait. Um, I want to talk about, again, can't wait, um, come, that book coming out in 2009, I wouldn't say social media was pretty prevalent, even in 2009, yeah. from Twitter to Instagram yeah. to Facebook, listen, your book reached so many different people, so again, talk about how, how that happened, and maybe a few stories on, on real people, not even out, out of hockey, that can be like, again, me too, thank mm-hmm. you, but yeah. I I solely believe that book reached
3: more people than I maybe social media would. Well, I can tell you, um, you know, four days before I went to Toronto to launch the book, you know, like I was shitting in my pants, like scared. Cause I had no idea how all of you were going to react to what was in the book. And I also knew I was going to go do a whole bunch of media. And I knew that the only thing that the media would be interested would be to re-victimize me as much as they possibly could. Right. So, because I'm a fairly smart and bright guy. I spent four days on my computer, researching every single thing I could find on the subject of sexual abuse, because I wanted to get a story of hope and healing and recovery, you know, out to the masses. So I show up in Toronto. I do 300 interviews in the first four days that I'm there. And just like I predicted, the only thing they were interested in was the gory details of my sexual abuse, right? But like a good politician, I knew that I didn't have to answer the questions directly. And so instead of their agenda, it became my agenda. Because I started throwing stats out there and and talking about different stories and and, and all this stuff. And so I got this message of hope and healing and recovery. And then, you know, the next thing was the first book signing. And to be honest with you, I didn't think anybody was going to read the book. I thought I'd show up and... Sign 10 books and go to the next town, sign 10 books, so on and so forth. So I show up at the biggest bookstore in Canada in downtown Toronto, and I walk through the front doors of the bookstore, and there's 400 people standing in line with my book. And I'm like, what the fuck are all these people doing here? You know, like I didn't expect this. So I sit down at the book table and I start. signing books and out of the corner of my eye I spot this guy in line and he's got my book clutched against his chest his face is buried in the floor and he's walking really slow and his sweats are ripped and his t-shirt's you know dirty his hair's greasy and I'm like hmm you know I wonder what's what's up with this guy so I follow him all the way in the line he gets to the front of line he puts the book on the table looks me in the eye and says me too And that's when I knew exactly the reason why I wrote the book. And like I said, it hasn't changed. That was 14 years ago. Every day, this thing is full of messages, of emails, of people, you know, reaching out and looking for help, you know, so um, and like I said, ultimately writing that book. You know, I found the, the true purpose for my life. And that was to be involved in this space, you know, for the rest of my life. Would that moment of
0: that gentleman coming up to you saying that clinching the book, would could you say that's bigger than lifting the cup?
3: hundred percent. You know, I, I would trade my Stanley Cup, Olympic gold medals, world junior. I'd give it all back to be able to, you know, change somebody's life. I love that. Because, you know, ultimately, I really believe that's why we're all here. Is, you know, we weren't put on the earth to suffer in silence. We were put on this earth to be in relationship with each other and help each other get through the most difficult times in our life. Right? But I can tell you that hockey, you know, everything I have, experiences, uh, money, all, everything. I got a free education for 40 years, being a part of a team, being a part of the National Hockey League, getting to hang around with Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Joe Sakik, Steve Eiserman. And I got an opportunity to watch these guys and watched how they lead, how they led, you know, where every where every single person, you know, from the guy that made the coffee in the morning to the guys that parked the cars out back, those guys the Gretzkys, Lemus, the Sack, Eisenman, Messies, they they made those guys feel a part of what we were doing. Right. And so I took all of that knowledge, and I transferred it into what I'm doing today, and that every single human being matters, you know, and no matter what your experience, no no matter what you've been through, you know, you can pick up the the phone, or you can pick up social media, or you can email me, and I, I guarantee you within a half an hour, I'll get back to you. You know, and that's that's what matters. Absolutely, right? Theo. Is is connection, right? What's the opposite of addiction? Connection. Mm-hmm. The people who are addicted aren't connected. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that, right? And when we get connected to a group of people who are all trying to achieve the same thing, that's when we heal. Right. And it, so, takes time, and it takes time and it takes a long it yeah, takes it take, time. It takes a lot of time. You know, you need to have patience, you know, cause not everybody's going to get it right away, you know? And, uh, you know, that's why there's a lot of great hockey players out there who don't have Stanley cups. Cause they didn't get that concept. They thought it was about them. They thought mm-hmm. it was all about them. And, you know, you can't win championships unless everybody's bought in, you know, yeah, and when yeah. you get everybody to buy in, you're unbeatable. You Can't. never
0: want to suffer in silence. So no,
3: no, you, you don't. And you know, I guarantee you, there's always somebody out there who's willing to listen. And nine times out of 10, that's all I do. I never have to give advice. I never have to do nothing. Just as long as I'm present and attuned and looking them in the eye, that's all they need. Love you that.
2: Know? Amen. Yeah. Dusty, what do you have to say? Yeah. Uh, I think, um, I guess, you like, seeing now the kids that maybe you work with or that come to you or just in sports in general, like, we brought up social media and how much of that plays a factor nowadays with mental illness and and just, you know, you pick up your phone and you could either be getting shit on for 24 hours straight if you miss (laughs) a goal or, you know, whatever, or you could look at it and find all the love in the world, which is, like, kind of an influx. It's not real love, you know? So it's like I think a lot of these kids are – that's what they take as currency is this, the, you know, this yeah. new age of looking well, at the Twitter the, and Instagram. You know
3: what this is? This is a dopamine and serotonin machine. That's yeah. what it is. Yep. And so, you know, people who get addicted to social media or get addicted to electronics, you know, that's what it's all about is because their brain chemistry is, is off and they can't produce enough dopamine. They can't produce enough serotonin. Um, and I'm one of those guys, Right. You know, I'm one of those guys who's very deficient in serotonin and dopamine production. And, uh, but, you know, the reason why I say hockey was my happy place is because when I stepped on the ice, what is it? It's pure dopamine, pure serotonin, right? Mm -hmm. But when I leave the rink, I can't produce it anymore. So what do I end up doing? I end up discovering this white powdered substance that you stick up your nose. Well, what is cocaine? Cocaine is dopamine. Cocaine and serotonin, right? And so, you know, everybody thinks that my career ended because of my addiction. That's wrong. My career ended because I could no longer manage my mental illness. And I couldn't talk about mental illness because I didn't even know I had mental illness because nobody was talking about it, you know? And now, you know, having had you know, 14 years of education, and being involved in the space, you know, I can make these distinctions, I can make these claims, I can, you know, educate the masses. So, you know, that's important. You know, addiction is not a bad thing. Addiction saves a lot of people's lives to get them to a place where, you know, they get to that place of surrender. And then they start their path of healing and, and, and all that. So, you know, it's important, you know, and, and there's so much shame attached to addiction because people just don't understand or won't take the time to fully understand why, you know, or, or the neuroscience that's behind addiction, right. You know, but it's okay to go to a doctor and get prescribed a synthetic version of cocaine. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we have seven, eight-year-olds on a synthetic liquid cocaine prescribed by Big Pharma. It's called Adderall. Hmm. But that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right? And if I do cocaine, I'm the worst fucking person in the world. Yep. So what's the difference? Education. Right? You know, for every recreational drug that's on the planet there's a synthetic version of that drug being prescribed thousands and millions of times a day to people and it's a different version
0: every time and that's where your story is so powerful and they and that's the outlet where people until you hear that story like like yours Mm -hmm. that's the most powerful thing people can hear right now um yeah, and, and we're going to start winding down because we know we're just being respectful. You got another interview to head to here soon, but we'll love to say something after you're done. Abs- absolutely. Um, from my end, Theo, again, this is just me talking, but I think it's a crime that. And I know you're busy. I know you have your, your journey and what you're doing, and it's amazing what you're doing with, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on on your day to day basis, but I think it's a crime that you're not involved in the game. I personally want you to be involved in the game in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, with that mental health program that ever exists, but you do see players dying today from cocaine and other things. what is your lasting words? And, and there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, especially in the hockey community. What yeah. would be your advice? And we talked about it earlier, but again, what's your lasting message to those players right now listening? Um, what should they be doing if, if they're feeling hopeless?
3: Well, you know, the, the thing that blows my mind is that hockey teams don't have uh, an onus on mental wellness. Right. You know, it, and it's because, because uh, of stigma, because of, you know, that's, there's still a lot of old school mentality in the game. You know, they, they think it's a physical game, but it's not. It's a mental game. Right. And yeah, 5% is ability and 95% is mental. The guys who are mentally tough and mentally strong are the superstars in the game because nothing bothers them, right? They have the skills and the capacity to take on tons of pressure, right? And the guys that can't are the guys that have two, three, four-year careers because they can't, they can't handle the pressure. But what I understand is, you know, uh, the brain is neuroplastic, which means it can be made to be better. So why aren't we doing more things like, you know, every dressing room should have a meditation room. Every room should have a yoga room. Every room should have, right. All this stuff and nobody. Therapist. No, no, yeah. Somebody you can talk to. Right. And, uh, you know, I see the next evolution of the game to be, you know, a real focus and an onus on, on mental health, because if your team's mentally strong, you know, you're gonna win the Stanley Cup every year. Like, look what Tampa went through in the last two years. Yeah, you know, and for them to win back-to-back Stanley Cups, those guys are mentally tough, mentally okay. strong. They they know how to deal with adversity. You know. Yeah, you give and a they lot have great, rates. and they have great leadership, and it starts with that guy behind the bench. Like that's exactly what I was gonna say, you Cooper. Know, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's an intelligent guy, and he he knows about neuroscience. He knows about uh mental wellness
0: right yep and so, i see the game evolving theo into that i just think it's going to take time yeah you got openly openly gay players now you got you know now it's starting to be open with the mental health yeah. conversation i truly believe give it some time and i see it happening
3: yeah well I, I think you know that's the next evolution of you know hockey teams is is uh you know because i i watch the game I know the guys that are mentally tough. I know the guys that are, you know, mentally challenged, you know. But I also know that I can take that mentally challenged guy and turn him into a hell of a hockey player. Yo, you yeah. ever you ever considered uh coaching, bud? No. I told my <laughs> wife to kick me right in the nuts <laughs> <laughs> if I ever mentioned it. So but I gotta I, I, I don't know if uh, I could relate. Yeah, you know. Um I I I see too many coaches who have to kiss their players ass to get them, get them to play. And I'm, I'm not that guy. yeah, I'm not that guy. So I don't know. Maybe I could adjust and maybe I could, but you know, my full attention is, you know, like I said, on the, on the global epidemic of mental illness. And, and uh, like I said, um, you know, some of the things that, that I'm working on, some of the things that I'm doing, um, I think, can change the the whole um, landscape of how we deal with this. You know, psychedelics, I believe, is the next big wave in curing mental illness. You know, we're at the beginning stages. And uh, um, but I hope they just I hope they don't fuck it up, mm-hmm. you know, and think that it's all about money because it's not, you know, it's not. It's about getting people well. And if you get people well, the money takes care of itself.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, I, I love that. A uh, carcello with everything with the micro dosing, yeah. <clears throat> all that. I, I see that as well as a positive in the right direction too. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think that's, that's the next, the next big thing, but unfortunately it's going to bury big pharma. Mm-hmm. It's going to mm-hmm. bury, it's going to bury them. Cause they won't be able to compete. Sure. Dusty yeah.
0: Corey, Any last uh, comments for Theo?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say, Bobby, thank you for touching on the mental health stuff today. You've been really good about that. And Theo, you had a hell of a career, right. And, but there's, I mean, your purpose is helping people, right. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you had your happy place with hockey. You did your job. You, you made the most of it and you did it all mm-hmm. right. Any, any kid would dream to have your life. Of course. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. But I, you know, I, I want to say um, that we're in Anaheim here in orange county we got glass seats to the ducks do you ever want to come out to cali we'll have some fun and vice versa going out to calgary my way.
3: buddy has a house on manhattan beach down in uh la so i go to see him quite a there bit you go. and and i'll just leak this out on the podcast i've been working on a movie deal so hey. so i've been in la lots meeting with actors and producers and money people and all that and we're this close to making it happen so Beautiful.
0: I'm yep. sure it's gonna be an amazing story as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to grab a bite or something next time yeah, you're down. That'd absolutely. Awesome. And
3: I I'd love, I'd love to yeah go to a game with you guys. We would love to, we love to have you, Dusty. Yep. And my favorite golf course I'm, is like, can I guess?
0: Can I guess? Yeah. Pelican. Yeah. I was gonna say that
3: too. Yeah. Every, every, every time I had a day off. <laughs> every time I had a day off. In L.A., I went to Pelican Hills. Hell yeah. It's a beauty.
1: Let's go swing a
3: little. There's swing a little, Theo. Mine will Love be it. pretty, but yeah. Love it. Yeah, we <laughs> can do, do the podcast on the course. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. We'll <laughs> be we in go. the sand trap.
0: Big yeah. cow be in the litter box. <laughs> yeah.
2: Let's go. Exactly. All right, Dusty. No, I, I just want to say thank you, Theo, for sharing your story. Not just, of course, to us, but how uh, you've been doing it for the last, you know, how many years? Um and how Bobby brought it up, yeah, we everyone's going through something. We're all dealing with it. I just, I actually saw my therapist right before we did the podcast, you know, <laughs> you and go. and I and I was one of those kids that did get like uh, dosed like way too much of Xanax to deal with our sister's death, and yeah. and uh, I recently just got weaned off of it, and because it does, it ma- it doesn't make you a person. It makes you like a kind of a walking zombie, and um, and luckily I've been able to get through it. But it's it's true, man. You know, it, it even if you have a you know, a crazy close family or a support system, you could still feel that kind of loneliness or hopelessness, but, you know, you hear stories like yourself and, and we're able to share ours a little bit too. Uh, I just hope it gives hope to other people yeah. to keep, keep fighting because they're not the only ones, you know, every, everyone deals with, uh, life's fucked up, you know, and yeah. it's also, it's also great, but you you know, well, grief, some-
3: grief and loss is, is, you know, so prevalent on the planet, you know, and, and, uh, it's, a, it's a hard process to go through and, you know, there is no timeline, right. You know, there is no timeline. So, um, so yeah, I wish you guys nothing but the best and uh, keep up the good work. And uh, thank you. You know, I really appreciate any opportunity I get to talk about this because like I said, it's, it's the biggest epidemic on the planet. And uh, you know, at some point we're going to get out of this COVID thing and, and, you know, that's what I'm getting prepared for is the aftermath of what, you know, being locked down and, and all that stuff has done to people for the last two years because it's going to be exponentially worse than it already is. Yeah. Well, likewise,
0: yeah. and, and Theo, you're a beautiful soul. We we loved having you today and um, Hey, thanks for joining the R we show podcast. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. We'll stay Cheers. in touch. Cheers, stay boys. You too. All right. We'll get all some right. dinner soon. We'll get some dinner <laughs> soon. Thanks again. Take, okay. care, take, care take, take care guys. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Theo, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. I'm still, I got chills from listening to that episode again. You're awesome. We can't wait to grab dinner when you're in SoCal. And like you said, hitting the links at Pelican Hill. As mentioned before, check out Theo's book, Playing with Fire. You grab it on Amazon or anywhere where you could buy books today. Also, our past guest, Luya our friend, our dear friend, is playing tomorrow night, the 26th of October, at the resident in Los Angeles. Buy your tickets today on Eventbrite, right now. So Louia, we'll see you tomorrow. As always, please like and subscribe the R We Chill Podcast, Spotify, Apple iTunes, and anywhere you can find podcasts today. We also have some sponsorships to be announced here very soon. Exciting sponsorship announcements are coming. But hey, the R We Chill Podcast is always open for business. So if you're thinking about being a sponsor, email us today at arewechillpodcast at gmail.com. Everybody, thanks so much for the support. And we got so much more to come. And as always, please listen to this song.
4: Stay.